Hey, everybody, just a couple of housekeeping things before we get started today. First, and this one is very simple, it's something you can do right now if you're listening on your phone or tablet or computer. If you have not done this already, I want you to go to iTunes and subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time. I want you to do this even if iTunes is not how you listen to podcasts. This helps us to rise in the iTunes ranks, and it makes it easier for new people to find the show. And while you're there, please rate us and write us a review. Next, I want to make sure that you know about our upcoming event in Chicago, Speed Dating for Mom Friends. Chicago is one of my very favorite cities. I used to live there. So if you live in Chicago now, come meet me at the Grafton Pub in Lincoln Square on April 9th. We will eat snacks, we will drink mimosas, and best of all, we'll make some new friends. And if you're a new mom, or any mom at all, I know you do not have time to make new friends. So come, let us help you make that easier. Tell your Chicago friends to sign up. We are thinking of this event as a pilot, and the more people who come to it, the more likely we are to bring speed dating for mom friends to your city. So Chicagoans, book your sitter now or tell your partner that you are going to need them on kid duty April 9th from 10 to noon. Because come on, you deserve this. You know you do. For more information and for tickets, go to longestshortesttime.com. We're going to be taking the next few weeks to get ready for this event and for our next season of brand new stories. So in honor of our trip to Chicago, we are bringing you one of our favorite stories from the archives about a mom who goes out of her mind being holed up with her baby during a Chicago winter. Back in my 20s, I lived in Chicago. I was there for about six years. And everything you hear about Chicago winters, it's all true. Winter is long, like, like it lasts most of the year. It can start as early as October and, and run all the way into May. It is snowy and icy and gray. I had my baby in winter in Philadelphia. Actually, it was the snowiest winter in all of Philadelphia history. And it was rough, you know, being trapped inside all the time. I barely went out. Um... On the rare occasions where I had to go outside for, like, a doctor's appointment, it felt so crazy. It felt like, like I was a vampire emerging from my crypt. You know, like, like the sunlight would hit me and, <sighs> like, like, I was going to get burned by the sunlight or something. And I, I can't even imagine what it would have been like to go through that in Chicago, where winter lasts so much longer. Well, today's story is about a woman who had her baby during a Chicago winter. She was trapped inside, and, and she got depressed. And that depression led her to do something that she had never done before, something that she knew was ethically wrong. She spied on her neighbor. This is The Longest Shortest Time. I'm Hillary Frank. Megan Steelstra is a writer. She wrote an essay about spying on her neighbor. It's great. It's called Channel B. I first heard her read it on this Australian radio show called Radio Tonic. It had all these sound effects and music that just really capture the whole mood of early days at home with a baby. So I'm going to be playing you some clips from that. And I also got the chance to interview Megan about the spying and also about her postpartum depression and anxiety, which is a topic that I know a lot of you are thinking about because you write to me all the time asking me to talk about it.
Megan had her baby, a boy named Caleb, six years ago. She didn't have paid maternity leave, so her husband picked up extra hours to make up for her lost income. So, you know, it was just her and the baby all day long in their tiny apartment. And, you know, there's not much interaction you can have with a newborn. So Megan started giving herself assignments in her journal, just one thing each day that she wanted herself to do. Like I would write, today I will make the bed. Today I will run up and down the stairs with the dog. And just these kind of simple tasks that that I would assign myself. And then somewhere in that list of simple tasks, I wrote, uh, I will get help. And that sentence was pretty terrifying. You know, my only understanding of, of postpartum depression was from Brooke Shields' book, Down Came the Rain. And in the book, there was a lot of darkness and suicidal thoughts and and since I wasn't feeling that kind of darkness, you know, uh, that that if I wasn't in the mental place where I, I wanted to jump off my balcony, then I didn't think that what I was going through was actually depression or was postpartum depression. I, I, I didn't I didn't I, I think I just thought that I was supposed to toughen up. So wait, do you, do you think that you did have postpartum depression? I think so. I I think that there are lots of different um, shades of it. So, um, so what did it look like for me? My my friend Amanda would come over and she would hold my son, and so I could take a shower. Except I wouldn't take a shower. I would sit in the bathroom and I would sit on the floor and I would cry. And our bathroom at the time had a like a one mirror over the whole wall, and so I I didn't want to look at myself, so I would do it with the lights off. And all this was so crazy because I, like, historically have not been a crier, but I was crying all of the time, and I didn't know what to do with it. Megan didn't think she had depression, so she didn't know how to get help. You know, that thing that she told herself to do in her journal, I will get help. She didn't know how to do that. She just pretty much hoped that it would pass, which, of course, it didn't. She was stuck in a rut. Then one night, um, this weird thing happened. She had just put the baby down for the night. She and her husband were in bed. He was working on his laptop. She was staring at the baby monitor. It was one of those video monitors with a glowing green screen. And you know what they say? They say, you know, the baby sleeps and then that's when the mom should sleep. But man, I, he would go to sleep and then I would watch him sleep because I was afraid that he would, I don't know, he would flip on his back or flip on his foot or flip over on something or get his head stuck in the thing. You know, I, I... I just remember being really nervous that the baby wasn't breathing and my husband kind of trying to talk me through that and be like, he is, he's breathing, he's fine, he's sleeping. Um, And then just sitting there and and once I was kind of felt sure that he was sleeping, just like, you know, looking down at this monitor and sliding buttons around and then there was a shift to an empty crib. And I was like, wait, what? Because just a, a few moments ago I'd been looking at my baby and now all of a sudden there was an empty crib. So there's this moment of panic of like, oh my God, the baby disappeared. The baby, of course, did not disappear. It turned out um, when Megan was playing with the buttons on the monitor, she had flipped this switch, kind of a a toggle button. Actually, I love the way Megan describes the button in her story from Radio Tonic. So here, I'm just going to play it for you. 
It had two frequencies, an A channel and a B channel, in case you had two kids in separate rooms. And what's interesting about this is that one of my neighbors must have owned this same monitor. Because on channel A, I saw my baby. And on channel B, I saw someone else's. And if I could see someone else's, then someone else could see mine. Megan knows it's wrong, but she can't stop watching Channel B. In her head, she creates a whole story for the mom and baby on the other side of that screen. And even though it's all in her imagination, it's, it's something that she made up herself, this story in her head kind of drives her nuts. She'll tell us all about it in just a minute. Don't go away. <laughs> We are back with writer Megan Steelstra. So you started wondering who who was on that other channel, mm-hmm. right? You know, like you, there was there was this other baby in there, and you started wondering who was in there and who was on that channel. And actually, this I wanna I wanna play another clip from the story. So mm-hmm. um, let's listen to the clip. Who knows who's in that uptown condo in Channel B? A baby, to be sure, but it wasn't the baby I was obsessed with. It was the mother. My imagination went wild when I thought of the mother. Did she sit there, watching my kid in the dark? Did she question his bedtime? Wonder where I got his pajamas? How might she react if I left a sign in his crib that read, Stop looking at my baby, you dirty voyeur. Or this one. Yay, new friends! Do you want to meet up at the park? Or the truth. I am terrified. I am so terrified that sometimes I can't even breathe. So, um, hearing that, I I felt like that was kind of a really exaggerated version of what happens out in the world, you know, in public. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we tend to imagine that other people have it way more together than we do. Oh, my God, um, yes. I wonder, did, did you imagine that about the other mom? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Like, I. well, first of all, d- just to start with, like, very simple basics, she could feed her kid. Um, so you imagined that she that she could breastfeed oh, easily. Oh, yeah. Not only her, but every single other mother mm-hmm. since the dawn of time and, and all of them who will enter in the future. Like, that that, that was for sure. Um, but also, she could go outside. Like, she could bundle up her baby in the snowsuit. And, and she would have such an easy, perfect time. She would be able to just put the baby in the snowsuit and just zip, like, zip it up so easily. And she wouldn't, like, it, it wouldn't be hard to deal with the snaps and the, like, how do you, like, where do you put their leg? And, and then she'd be able to, you know, very easily pick up the baby and put the baby in the ergo thing, you know, whatever brand name is on your uh, baby carrier. Um, like, I remember, like, st- standing in the, the middle of my bed with that baby sling thing, like trying to figure out how to put the baby in it without dropping him on the floor and like being so scared with all the buckles. And I mean, I, I would be on my knees in the bed so he wouldn't have far to fall and it would be in this like nice soft place. So it would be fine. And just feeling like I was so completely out of my element. Um, it sounds like you were imagining her being the mom that you wanted to be. Yeah, that's a, a really perfect way of putting it. Um, in in one of my journals, I, I have a letter to a friend of mine, and I was talking about how, like, 
like I knew that so much of this was in my head and I knew that this was like guilt that I was putting on myself in some way. And and there was a line about how I was like, it, I think it, it would be easier to just like take a drill into my shoulder blade right now. Like, like that, like that's the kind of harm that I'm doing to myself with this line of thinking. One night, Megan puts her baby to bed. And even though he's fast asleep, like completely out, she stays in there in the rocking chair for a while. Um, this has become her routine. She stays in the rocking chair watching the monitor while the baby sleeps next to her. And then once she's sure he's really out, she flips to channel B and she watches the other baby. Or if that baby's not in there, she watches his empty crib, waiting for, waiting for who knows what. She's just waiting. But on this one night, something's different. She hears a sound. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play you another clip from her radiotonic story. Somewhere in his room, a woman was sobbing. Heavy, gaspy, gulpy sobs. They went on. They went on and on. So, so the mother was crying, and what was your reaction to hearing her cry? <sighs> the, the person I am now, six years out of this, like I, I want to say that... Um, that my response, of course, was was empathy and was understanding and was connection and and, um, but in the moment, I think it was relief that this is not just me, that that I am not by myself in this. And of course, who knows why she was crying? Who know, it, it it could have been a me. I mean, maybe she maybe she just broken her leg. Maybe she just defaulted on her mortgage. Maybe, I mean, it could have been a million different things, but, but, um, but at the time with what was happening in my head, it, it was like how I situated this was that she was experiencing the same thing that I was. Like I, I might be normal in this. Like the me, the me sitting on the floor of the bathroom, that might be Okay. That might be okay. Coming up, things get awkward with the other mom, as things are bound to do when you're spying on your neighbor. Stay with us. We're back with Megan Steelstra. Megan says that after she heard the mom crying on the baby monitor, things changed. Did did you start to tell yourself a different story about her after you heard her cry? I stopped looking after I heard her crying. I stopped flipping over. Um, and you know, the, there are so many different things that that could have been connected with this time wise. I mean, by by that time, it it, it was spring, <laughs> like the snow was melting, and that's I mean. That is really real in Chicago. Like, I, I can't say if it's that way anywhere, but, you know, like, for over a decade, I, I waited tables in a, in a brunch restaurant, and automatically, like, on the first day that it's not gray outside, like, there's a four-hour wait for a table, and you run out of champagne because everybody's drinking mimosas, and, and there's, like, this kind of collective excitement. So, so that was sort of happening all kind of immediately after I heard that crying. And and also, that was about the time that my son started eating solid foods. So it, it wasn't just on me to 
um, feed him. And that, and that was another thing. And he was sleeping through the night a little bit more, you know, and we'd gone through sleep training. So like, so, so that was happening. You know, so, so there were all of these factors. So, so in the story, you, you talk about um, going out for walks once it turns spring, um, seeing everything kind of new through your baby's eyes. Um, and then one day you're walking, um, taking a walk with the baby and you see another mom and baby and, and you stop. Um, so let's hear it. This is the last clip. Let's listen to that. She was pretty, early 30s, wearing yoga pants and a yellow empire waist shirt. She looked nice and tired and interesting, like there were all sorts of secret things about her that were set on pause for the time being. She looked like how I saw myself. We nodded at each other in solidarity. This, I had newly discovered, is the way moms do it. Acknowledging the fact that even though you don't know each other, you're still a part of this great cosmic team. And then you check out each other's kids. Hers was grabbing his toes in the stroller. So sweet, so adorable, so familiar. And not in that all babies are alike sort of way. I I looked closer. Yeah, I knew this kid. And suddenly I saw him not all face-to-face on Lawrence Avenue, but electric green on a tiny handheld screen. So you discover that that's the baby, that's the mom from the monitor. Mm-hmm. Um, did you get the sense that she recognized you too? God, I don't know. I, 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 th- I, I think so. I think so, but I mean, if I'm being if I'm being 100 percent honest right here, it it's entirely possible that I, I wanted that to happen so much that um, that I'm that, that I'm putting that on the experience. Um, I mean, I think so, but then you know, the, there's part of me that's like, God, that, that's so entirely improbable. That is so crazy that that would have happened. Um, what did you say to her? I said, uh, I said her kid was really beautiful. Or maybe she said it first. I, I don't remember. Either she said your kid is really beautiful and I said so's yours or I said your kid is really beautiful and she said so's yours. Um, I do know, though, that after that I asked how she was. And, you know, just how are you? And, and that is a question that we people all the time a, a thousand times a day and then people ask us a thousand times a day and we answer it all the time you know I'm fine I'm fine I'm fine and, and depending on how well we know the person you know it's you know might be well actually I'm I'm awful today you should buy me a glass of wine and let me talk about it or um but I asked her how she was and and I really wanted to know the answer like I I, I remember that being huge like I, I wanted to say I wanted to say it just like that. I wanted to say, how are you? And actually, I really want to know an authentic answer to this question. I'm not just randomly asking you because we're standing here and that's like a thing that you say to another human being on this planet. And and she said, I'm getting better. And that just kind of blew me out of the water. So I, I don't, again, I don't know if she said that to me because she knew of this connection. Um, I don't know if she said it to me because she had any inkling of how, of how, of what my imagination had done to our relationship. 
<laughs> the fact that we even had a relationship in my imagination, I, I guess. <laughs> you know, I, I don't know if I don't know if she said that because that's how she'd been answering that question for months. Were you just dying to like spill the beans to her? Yes, but oh my god, how how could you you know, like a stranger in the street coming up to you and being like, Oh my god, I totally watched your baby. I watched your baby for months and months and months, and one time I heard you say, like, I, like the, there's no way, like, and especially, like, on Lawrence Avenue, like, in front of the Aragon Theater in Chicago, like, standing there. I don't know. You know, maybe there was part of me that, that was ashamed for having listened. So that's not a thing that I, I wanted to say, you know. And everything felt better after first hearing her on the monitor and everything felt better after running into her. Um, Do you still see the mom ever? No, because uh, we moved shortly thereafter. Oh. Um, so, so no. Um, God, if I still live there, like, would I, would I be looking for her? Like, would I still be comparing myself to her in some way? You know, because like now, now my son is six, and, and that's a that's a different set of challenges, right? So, so you know, it's. It's different now, though, because I I know more moms. Like I have more, uh, you know, kind of in my community, and 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 certainly like instead of like searching for you know this mystical magical woman on a on a screen, I can call up the one who lives next door and just say like, oh my god, what is happening, six year olds? What? Um, <laughs> although actually, I'm I'm loving six. Six is kind of my jam so far. Megan Steelstra is a writer in Chicago. You can find her essay, Channel B, in her great essay collection, Once I Was Cool. We've got a link to it at longestshortesttime.com. Postpartum depression and anxiety are super common among new parents. If you've been through it, we want to hear from you. Tell us what it was like and what got you through it. Maybe you're still stuck. Or maybe you've spied on another mom. We want to know everything. Go to longestshortesttime.com and tell us in the comments for this episode. That's episode 42. And Chicago listeners, you do not need to spy on your neighbors to feel less alone. Let us help you. Just come to Speed Dating for Mom Friends. Again, that info is at our website. The Longest Shortest Time is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Abigail Keel. Our engineers are Pete Karam and the Reverend John Delore. Our theme music is by the Batteries Duo. Jonathan Menhivar edited this show. This episode was made in partnership with WNYC, where I had production support from Joanna Solitaroff, Jim Briggs, and Bill O'Neill. The clips you heard in this story with the music and the baby sounds come from Radio Tonic, a show produced by ABC Radio International's Creative Audio Unit. That story was produced by Julie Shapiro and engineered by Mark Don. Don't forget to subscribe to The Longest Shortest Time in iTunes right now before you forget. And as always, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we love hearing your stories about your parents and about your kids. Right now, we are in the process of collecting questions from you. We'll be doing parenting advice from a clown, like a real professional clown who, who's also a parent. So if you're in the middle of some parenting conundrum, maybe this clown can help. 
Send in your questions about any weird, puzzling, frustrating thing that your kid does. Go to longestshortesttime.com and tell us what's up. Hey, Airwolf listeners, this is Chris Gethard. I have a new show coming out. It's called Beautiful Stories from Anonymous People. Every week, I open the phone line to one anonymous caller, and I can't hang up first no matter what. From philosophical discussions... If you were to be eaten by an animal of your choice, which one would it be? And family secrets... The doctor that delivered me, I believe, was Ron Paul. To shocking confessions... I was doing what they call internet porn and shameless self-promotion. Because I think I am the greatest musician in the whole entire world. Oh, yeah! Listen on Earwolf.com, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Stand up. You sing Earwolf? Yeah. This has been an Earwolf production. Executive produced by Scott Ackerman, Adam Sachs, and Chris Bannon. For more information and content, visit Earwolf.com.